0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. That's what it sounds like in my head when I sing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have you been following this Brittany Griner saga? For those of you who are living under a rock, um, let me give you a little update. Brittany Griner is an extraordinary basketball player plays in the WNBA and she was arrested in Russia for having cannabis on her person and detained there for 10 months apparently that's not something you can do in Russia nor at North Bible Church just so you know Um, and she was detained there for 10 months and in a prisoner swap recently she's back now in the United States and plans to go back to playing WNBA or whatever And this week, if you saw it, she released her first kind of public statement since having been detained in Russia. And she made this comment that was really fascinating to me. And the comment was, I really had to dig deep to find my faith. It's an interesting comment because that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about faith. Now, I don't know about uh, Brittany Griner's spiritual situation. I ran into her in an airport once. She is a physical specimen and an extraordinary basketball player. I don't know about her spiritual situation. I don't know about her faith journey. But what I do know is that the way she is using that word, faith, reflects a misunderstanding of that word that's kind of at work in the world and impacts us in the church because what she means by that, I had to dig deep to find my faith, is that it was really, really challenging to remain optimistic. That's what she means by that, and I could only assume that it was. I've never been detained in Russia that you know of, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that was like, but I'm sure it was really, really challenging, but, but biblically speaking, optimism is not what the word faith means. And and we also use this word faith as kind of a a mental assent. I have faith in God. That is to say, I agree that he exists. But friends, this word faith is far richer and more cogent and deep, and, and it's a treasure, really, biblically speaking, if we understand this word. And so, what we've done the last couple weeks, remember, we talked about joy, and we talked about the fact that it's not kind of this circumstantial thing, but it's a deep, abiding spiritual happiness that's evident to those around you. It's the absence of fear. And last week, if you were with us, we talked about the theme of peace, and we talked about the fact that peace, yes, is a feeling of stillness or calmness or serenity of heart, but at at the same time, and even more than that, biblically speaking, peace is shalom, Remember, it's total human flourishing, it's wholeness, it's, it's a lack of fracture in our lives. And today what we're going to do is dive deep into this theme of faith. And hopefully, with this passage we're going to be in, in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to see that faith, in the eyes of God, is far more than just hopeful optimism. And it's far more than just agreeing that God exists. Faith is more richer and much more cogent than that. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open them up to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Scripture is up here on the screen, and you can uh, follow along with your neighbor if you want to do that. Even if you don't know them, scoot over. If they're cute, ask for their phone number if you're single. Um, If you're not single, don't do that. That would be just as much frowned upon as cannabis would be here at North. So So we're in Matthew chapter 9, and let me set the stage a little bit for us here so you kind of understand what's happening in the life of Jesus. Jesus' ministry has really grown at this point. He's begun to call his disciples. He's traveling around kind of first century Palestine. He's a little bit of a wanderer in many ways, so much so that he says a son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Like birds have nests, where am I gonna go? So he's traveling around. He's preaching and he's healing people. And he has started to gain a popularity with those who are irreligious. Right, he's having dinner and eating with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors, super frowned upon in that day, and it's so it's happening so much that people start to accuse Jesus of being a drunkard himself. That's how much he's hanging out with those folks. Isn't that wild? Hey, check this out. You want to be more like Jesus? Have people accuse you of hanging out with sinners more? That's free for nothing this morning. Doesn't even have anything to do with what I'm talking about. Just going to slide that in there. So Jesus starts to heal people and, and, and crowds are coming to him. So at the beginning of Matthew chapter nine, there's this crowd in this house that's kind of pouring into this home and these friends uh, who can't get their uh, friend who, who, whose legs don't work into the home because people are kind of crowding into the home, dig a hole in the roof, lower him down. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders say, what authority do you have? I mean, they're angry with Jesus now. God is the only one who can forgive sin. What authority do you have? And Jesus is going, well, just wait. (laughs) And then he says, son, take up your mat and walk. The man gets up, takes up his mat and walks away. So religious leaders are starting to get ticked at Jesus. And I mean real ticked. And that that ticked, that anger, you know, that results in the crucifixion, by the way. That's where we're headed. In the second part of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus uh, starts to, well, he calls a tax collector, a guy named Matthew, who has betrayed his Jewish people and is now working for the Roman government and taking taxes for himself uh, and, and basically pillaging his people, fleecing the flock of, of the, the, the nation of Israel. And then Jesus starts to talk about this kind of like, you know, wild thing about wineskins and new wine and old wine and sowing a patch on things. And, and, and essentially the religious leaders say, Why is it that your disciples are eating and drinking all the time? Like you guys are partying all the time, not like getting drunk and all that stuff, but but they're celebrating all the time. And Jesus says, look, when the bridegroom is with them, they're going to celebrate. And that's what we're going to do. The the anger of the religious leaders, the, the jealousy of the religious leaders is really starting to boil here. And it really is going to inform our reading of this text this morning and help us understand this notion of faith. So look up here on the screen. Uh, While he was saying these things, next slide if you would, uh, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him. So he's talking about new wine and wineskins and why we celebrate and all that stuff. And religious leaders are getting angry and a ruler comes in and knelt before him saying, my daughter's just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Let's stop there. When Matthew tells us that this is a ruler, he's telling us that this is a religious leader. Uh, Mark and Luke tell this same story, and they're gonna make some comments that's gonna help add some color and inform our understanding here. But this is a religious leader that has now come to Jesus for help. So look up here at me. This is like a Republican. (laughs) Somebody already thinks this is funny. Great, that's awesome. Okay, this is a Republican saying, listen, I was really struggling with what to do and how to interpret the Second Amendment. But then I called my friend Joe Biden and he had such good things to say. Friend, you are taking your life in your own hands. Take that and multiply it by a thousand. These religious leaders hate Jesus. They end up killing him. They're jealous of him, and then subsequently they want to kill his followers. This guy is one of those religious leaders, likely not a member of the Pharisaical party, if you know what that is, or the Sanhedrin. If you don't know what that is, no big deal, but a ruler in the synagogue. He is taking his life in his own hands. He is most certainly taking his job, his status, his influence into his own hands. And look, I would too if my kid died, wouldn't you? There's a desperation here, isn't there? There's a willingness to put it all on the line. There's a willingness to say, I'm going to go talk to this very unpopular rabbi and ask him for help because I'm pretty sure he can do something. And wildly enough, Jesus gets up and starts moving. Now, if you're this man, what is your assumption? Where is Jesus headed? He's headed to your kid, right? He's headed to your kid. And his reputation has spread all over the the, uh, first century Palestine. He's spread all over the area. And so he knows Jesus is going to get there and he's going to heal my kid. My babies are four and eight. I, I, I cannot imagine the joy and the hope that's erupting in this man's heart when he knows somebody who can solve this problem is on his way. Now watch what happens. Next slide. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, that's Jesus, and touched him on the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned Seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your, say that word with me, faith, right? So we're talking about your faith has made you well. Instantly, the woman was healed. Let's talk about this woman. This is wild. She's been suffering from a discharge of blood for 12 years. Uh, Mark's account and Luke's account tell us that she has exhausted all of her earthly resources. She has spent all of her money trying to solve this problem, this medical issue that she's encountering. She's exhausted all of her resources. William Barclay in his commentary on this text tells us that the Talmud would have prescribed seven different ways, this ancient Jewish text would have prescribed seven different ways that she could have been healed. She would have exhausted all of those options as well. She has nowhere left to go. And this is not just kind of maybe an embarrassing thing or a health scare or a health issue or something that she would have to manage over the course of time because she was bleeding all the time, she would have been rendered ceremonially unclean. That is to say, she could not go to the temple, she could not go to the synagogue, and she could not worship. Now track with me here, this is even more important than that. Anybody who touched her would have been rendered ceremonially unclean as well. And in that culture, in that time and place, Being ceremonially unclean was a radically huge deal. No one would have compromised, in first century Jewish culture, would have compromised their ability to go to temple and to engage in worship by touching this woman. So for the last 12 years, not only has she been enduring this health scare, but nobody's wanted to talk to her or touch her for 12 stinking years. This is why it's so important that when Jesus heals a leper, he reaches out and does what? Touches him. Ceremonially unclean, Jesus doesn't just go, take up your mat and walk like he does with the lame man. He could have done, hey, leprosy, go away, and it would have just gone away, but he doesn't. He reaches out and touches the leper. Why? Ceremonially unclean. People wouldn't have touched that person for a very, very long time. And in this particular case, at least 12 years, likely she has never had any human contact at all. When COVID hit, we were living in uh, Toronto, Canada. And some people, I know that there's probably even some here that like, you know, you're COVID exiles from California, right, yeah, and even the people in the room are like, yeah, get back, you know, go back home, Californians. We're glad you're here, I promise. Um, <laughs> what you've done to the housing market has just been extraordinary for us, we love it. Um, and people tell me like California, Washington, Oregon, they're, they're blue states, I beg to differ. I lived in Canada that's a blue state, my friend. (laughs) For 10 months over two years of COVID, it was illegal to enter someone else's home. Illegal. For 10 months, the police could pull you over for any reason and ask you, why are you outside of your house? And if you didn't have a legitimate reason for being outside of your house, then they could fine you $750. And they did. So for the first three or four months of COVID, Unfortunately, uh, my family had traveled down here March 10 of 2020. I was supposed to join them March 15 of 2020. (laughs) The world blew up between those two dates. So my family, my wife and babies got stuck here for four months and I was in Canada for four months and everybody was afraid and it was illegal to enter anybody else's home. I literally didn't touch another person for two months. And some of our dearest friends, came over to my house, and in their mind, you know, they, they put their life at risk, right? You know, I know some of you scoff, I get it, but do you remember the first of COVID, everybody was afraid. We didn't know what this thing was yet, right? There was definitely a fear there, and they brought their kids over, and they let me cook them dinner, and we stayed two meters apart, and the last thing they did, and their kids are really good friends with my kids, the last thing they did Before they left, it said, Braylon and Selah, that's their names. Y'all go give Mr. Lucas a hug. And they came over and hugged me, and I cried my eyes out. I hadn't touched another human being in two months. She hadn't touched another human being in 12 years. There's a desperation here, too, isn't there? And she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment... Mark and Luke tell us that Jesus feels power go out from him, and he looks and turns around and says, who touched me? And his disciples say, hey, bro, <laughs> there's just throngs of people around you. Lots of folks have touched you. Keep walking, my guy, right? No, 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 something's just happened, and he looks at this woman, and he says, your faith has made you well. Now, if you're the guy whose daughter is dead, how do you respond to this? Jesus just stops. He stops and turns around and goes, who touched me? If you're the guy whose daughter is dead, how do you respond to this? Somebody talk to me. What? Let's go, baby. I don't know what you're, I don't, hey, hey, I don't know who she is, but first of all, She came through this crowd, and it parted like the Red Sea. I know that story. Jesus, you know that story. Nobody wants to touch her. Let's just keep on moving. Now, the Bible doesn't say he doesn't say that, but three different authors of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't say anything about what this man said. Isn't that odd? Isn't that interesting? I find that fascinating. It's going to help provide some color to our definition of faith this morning. Let's finish the text. Here we go. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, they're grieving this girl's death. uh, He said, go away, for the little girl is not dead. She's just sleeping. This is what, this is for my friend Jim this morning. This is what I picture this guy doing. You remember the princess bride? He's not dead. He's just mostly dead. You know what I mean? Like, that's what's happening here. Jesus like, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. It's okay. So, that's a horrible accent, by the way. It's a horrible accent. I don't even know what, that, what accent that's from, uh, but that's not Billy Crystal and the Princess Bride, but she's not dead. She's just mostly dead. Everybody get out of the room, and when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, a the little girl arose, and report of this went all through that district. It's interesting that this story of the woman with a discharge of blood is kind of the hub that the story of the religious leader sits around. Does that make sense? The religious leader's story starts, then there's this woman who has this crazy amount of faith, and then it finishes with the religious leader. Here's what Matthew is doing. What he wants to do is teach us about that one word, faith. And he wants to use both of these people's stories to teach us about that word, to teach us what it really means, okay? So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pit two words against one another. We're going to do a little contest of faith versus belief. This is not France, Argentina. Nobody tell me who won, by the way. Nobody tell me. We're going to do faith versus belief. And it's an interesting uh, kind of combination here. It's an interesting kind of conversation because in the book of James, if you remember, James has a similar conversation. He says, look, you say you believe in God. Good, even the demons do that and shudder. He says, you show, I sh- you show me your faith by what you say. I show you my faith by my works. Now, in the original language in Greek, both that word belief and faith uh, is pistulio. It's, it's the same Greek word in both cases. But translators have made this decision to translate one of them belief and one of them faith. Because James is talking about two very different notions. He's talking about two very different things. And so, what I wanna do is contrast these two notions this morning, and I wanna talk about what we learn about faith from the story of the religious leader and the story with the woman caught, with the discharge of blood, and I wanna contrast what belief really is. As it, as it compares to faith. Are we tracking what we're gonna do this morning? Everybody's nodding their head. Nod your head, and we'll keep going. Okay? okay, here's my definition of faith. If joy is a deep abiding spiritual happiness to, is evident to those around you. Peace is wholeness and faith is active trust. It's up here on the screen. And belief is passive optimism. Faith is active trust. Belief is passive optimism. When Brittany Grinder says, I had a difficult time keeping my faith, she had a difficult time remaining optimistic. I would too. But that's not what God calls us to, is a faith in faith itself or an optimism. Here's what God calls us to. When you know that you can trust Jesus, you actively, in the case of the religious leader, take your life in your own hands and you put it in the hands of Jesus. Are you with me? He took action, did he not? He didn't wait, he didn't hope, he didn't keep his fingers crossed that Jesus would somehow find out. He went after Jesus and placed his trust in Jesus and saying, I trust that you can do something about this. Same as the woman. Now she comes out into this congregation of people, this throng of people, and she puts herself at risk. She might render somebody else unclean. She, if she touches Jesus, what does she render him? Unclean, but she knows this man is trustworthy and I can place my trust in him. This is the difference between what we talk about faith and what Jesus and what we learn, or how we talk about faith and what we learn from this religious leader and this woman. This is how we talk about faith most of the time. I have faith that that stool will hold me. I led worship here in this room 15 years ago. I have sat on this stool a thousand times. I know full well that it will hold me. That is not the biblical definition of faith. You want to see the biblical definition of faith? Everybody ready? You know what's coming, don't you? There's an active trust. I set the full weight of my body down on this stool. Last night I was washing my son's hair. He's four years old. I have him lean back in the water. I pull water on his head. I wash his head. And he's holding himself up in the bath with his hands, right? I said, son, you have to let me have your head. I'm holding your head, son. I have to have your head to lean it back into the water. I have to have it so I can scrub your head and so I can wash your head. He goes, daddy, I'm not going to let you have my head. (laughs) So I spanked him. Um, No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I said, son... I'm preaching tomorrow. This will make a great illustration. Please let me have your head. <laughs> I said, son, do you trust daddy? Am I going to let you go? And no. I said, have I ever let you go before? In the bath or anywhere else, son? He said, no. I said, so then let me have your head. And he said, okay. And he let his arms down. And I dropped him, and I just said, look, it's a... It's a <laughs> There's two ways that this faith takes shape. If you have never placed your active trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and for your reconciliation to God, here's the great news. You can do squat to earn that. It's all about what he did. It's all about who he is and how he loves you in a relentless, unconditional, unapologetic, gracious, beyond measure way. And so the invitation that God has for you this morning, if you've never placed your active trust in Jesus, is trust me. Place the full weight of your sin and your life down on top of me. I promise I can hold you. Guess what? I'm God. In the same way that I'm not going to let my son go, that's my baby. I love him beyond measure. He's not going to let you go either. But if you have placed your faith in Jesus, what Jesus calls you to is an ongoing active trust in him in your current reality. You hate your job? Place your trust in Jesus. You're at war with your spouse? Place your trust in Jesus. You have a wayward kid? Place your trust in Jesus. He's got it under control. He can hold your head. I promise, and guess what? That means squat because he promises. That's faith. Number two, look up here on the screen. Faith is joyful patience. Belief is anxious energy. This is why it's so important that the religious leader doesn't say, let's go, baby. Why? Because I trust you, I can wait on your timing. You you might think, that something's more important to do right now, Jesus, and that might be interacting with this woman. Okay, I trust you. Not just I trust you with the outcome, but I trust you with the timing. Both my uh, kiddos are adopted. They're eight and four. They're extraordinary human beings, much cuter than your kids. Um, not a lick of my genetics in them, so I can say that totally objectively, they're cuter than your kids. Um, And the joy of adoption is is extraordinary. But between the eight-year-old and the four-year-old, we also had two adoptions fail. Uh, In one case, uh, we walked with a birth mom through about seven months of paying birth mom expenses and doing all those things. Uh, She had the baby, we were in the hospital when the baby was born. Uh, We did every diaper change, every bottle feeding for five days. Baby had some complications, so in the hospital a little bit longer. And about an hour before discharge, she changed her mind. Uh, Amy had to pick me up off the hospital floor because I just collapsed in grief. In the second case... um, Birth mom had some complications. Uh, She was uh, just a few days away from giving birth. Amy was left Toronto uh, to go to where this uh, gal was having this baby uh, to spend the last few days in the hospital with her before her scheduled C-section so she could play cards and all that stuff because they hospitalized her up the last few days before the baby was born. And while amy was in the air on the way uh, to where she was having the baby, I got a call from our adoption agency that this woman had had the baby and just left the hospital, checked out AMA, and just disappeared into thin air. amy and I have never lost a child in death. We don't know how that feels, so I'm not telling you I know how that feels. What I am telling you is that professionals would say that failed adoptions are the same type of grief as losing an infant in death. That's what the professionals say. God had been so extraordinarily good to us. Did it hurt? Yes. Did we deal with a lot of conflicting emotions? Yes. But could we say in the midst of that, God, we trust you with the timing? I I thought you were on your way, Jesus. I thought you were headed to the house, Jesus. I I thought you were gonna raise her up, Jesus. I thought this was... The baby, Jesus, help me understand this. But because we've placed our active trust in him, there is a joyful patience awaiting with a happy heart that happens for those who have placed the full weight of their life down on the sovereign God of the universe. For those who haven't, who just have a belief, just optimism hoping it'll work out but for me and for those who have placed the full weight of their life down there is a joyful optimism even in the midst of grief I see some heads nodding so I know you get it we're going to move on check this out here's what we also know about faith faith next slide if you would faith is I don't know the point so you're going to have to put the next slide up (laughs) with faith a little bit goes a long way with belief there's never enough With faith, a little bit goes, this is why Jesus says, if you have the faith the size of a what? Mustard seed, then you can move a mountain. A little bit goes a long way. With belief, there's never enough. With belief, you've always got to muster more up. With belief, the well starts to run dry. With faith, all you got to do is touch the hem of his garment. That's all you got to do. With faith, all it is is, Jesus looking at this woman says, yeah, your faith has made you well. Bam, she's healed instantly. That's just a little bit of faith, isn't it? I mean, it's an active faith, but, but it's, not, it's not a big deal. It's not a big program. It's not a big production. It's not go wash 57 times, go do all this stuff. Why? Because faith, with faith, a little bit goes a long way. With belief, it's never enough. Friends, if you haven't placed your active trust on the sovereign God of the universe, you're always going to be looking for more optimism and belief you're always going to have to be conjuring that up no matter what circumstance you're in detained in russia or otherwise and i, I was even thinking about this this morning i was praying about this this morning that i hope Brittany grinder watches this because i want in her journey towards jesus for her to experience just like you something greater than just a hopeful optimism but an active trust in jesus because when you place your active trust in him a little bit goes a long way. Here's why. Next slide. Here's why. So important that faith is externally powered and belief is perpetually weak. This wasn't about, for this religious leader, uh, doing all the right things and saying all the right things. It was just about plugging into Jesus, right? For this woman who had a discharge of blood, it wasn't about, again, uh, doing all the right things, saying all the right things, going through the right motions. It was that she was plugged into Jesus. She went to the power source. It's so incredibly critical to understand this. I work at a, a fitness company now. I work in the, the corporate office for a fitness company, and we support franchisees around the country. We had a franchisee call us about a year ago, having trouble with, uh, with his computer. And this guy's a very, very smart guy. I like him a lot, but he's having trouble with his computer. He's like, man, it's not turning on. I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, we're your IT department. Apparently, that's great. So we're trying to help him and we're asking him questions. We're like, hey, did you try to reset it? Yeah, it's not turning on at all. I got a dark monitor. Hit the power button. Absolutely. Make sure all your cables are connected. Yep, they're all connected. So uh, where does your power cable go? It's plugged into the power strip. And where is the power strip plugged into? It's plugged into itself. Run that back for me one time. Okay. Monitor is the, you know, the hip, hip bone is connected to the knee bone, and the knee bone is connected to the thigh bone. So your computer monitor is connected to your tower. Yes. The tower's power cable is connected to a power strip. And yes, and the power strip is connected to itself. Like I said, I said, hey, man, say that one more time out loud. He goes, I'm going to call you all back. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of my favorite. He's extro- I, I wish I could tell you more about him. He's extraordinarily smart. It's, it was just one of those moments, right? You ever had that moment where you're looking around the house, you're screaming at your kids and your spouse, where are my glasses? Where I gotta get out of here. Where are my glasses? And somebody goes, they're, they're on your head. You know what I mean? It was one of those moments, right? So it doesn't make him dumb. I'm not trying to tell a story on him or anything. It was just a moment that he had, right? So here's the deal. Here's what I know. With whatever it is in your life, Uh, up here on the screen, with whatever it is in your life, fill in the blank, it's only as good as its power source. Your computer is only as good as its power source. Your car is only as good as its power source. All the power tools in your house, they're only as good as a power source. That power screwdriver doesn't work unless it's got a battery in it, right? Otherwise, you're just doing this, right? It's only as good as its power source. Here's, Here's the same deal. It's the same with faith. Your faith is only as good as its power source. And for this woman, and for this uh, religious leader, they give us an example of individuals who said, it is not about the belief and optimism that I might conjure up inside of me, that I believe harder and harder and more and more, and I'm more and more optimistic. I have the faith the size of a mustard seed, but if I place that faith in the right thing, or in our case, the right person, if I tap into the right power source, then my faith can move a mountain. There's two invitations this morning. One is if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, that you would place your active trust in him for the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God. That's the invitation. But for those maybe who are struggling to place your active trust in Jesus, not struggling with optimism, but struggling to place your active trust in Jesus, I want to give you just three quick applications that maybe you can even put into practice this week in order to tap into that power source that we're talking about. Are you tracking with me? Okay, here's the first one. Look back at God's provision. Look back at God's provision. Uh, Last year, uh, I was on a flight uh, last December going to Chicago and it was the worst flight I've ever been on in my life in terms of turbulence it was awful overhead anybody ever had overhead bins open on a flight <laughs> stuff falling out people throwing up everywhere i learned afterward that like half the flights in that part of the world were grounded that day people were like well we're not taking off i don't know why they let us take off but they did And it was wild. I mean, it was like people are screaming and crying. (laughs) So (laughs) So I'm in the aisle, and there's a dude across the aisle from me, big dude, big, strong dude, with his pregnant wife, and they're holding hands, right? They're holding hands. And (laughs) this turbulence isn't stopping. And I looked over, and I said, hey, man, I'm Luke. He said, hey. He introduced himself. I said, "Um, I'm happily married man clearly you are, wife's pregnant, but I'm going to need you to hold my hand. (laughs) He said, said, excuse me? I said, just, I'm cool, we're good, but I'm going to need you to hold my hand. (laughs) He, He was cool, man. He said, okay, so we held hands, and at some point, there's seven, eight minutes of turbulence, at some point, he tried to let go. I just squeezed on his ass. I, said, I just looked at him I'm dead in the eye like this. I said, not yet. <laughs> now, I just hit executive platinum status on American Airlines this year. I travel a fair bit for work. Uh, now, when turbulence hits, I'm good. I'm trying to order another Diet Coke. I'm looking at other people around me throwing up going, y'all want to hold my hand? I got hands. You, I got hands. How about you? Everybody's doing okay? I'm getting up, going to the washroom. You know, I still call it a washroom, by the way. I lived in Canada. Buckle up. It's fine. Don't worry. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up. People are like, you have to stay seated, sir. I'm like, arrest me. I don't know. What are, what are you going to do? You know why? Because I'm a frequent flyer. I've been on this flight before. I've experienced turbulence. I've experienced wild turbulence. Like I thought I was going to die holding my guy's hand. Turbulence. You know the same way that I have a frequent flyer faith as well? And when you look back at God's provision in your own life, when you look back at the ways that he has sustained you and provided for you, how many miles you think you've driven in your entire life? How many miles? And you know you've never been killed in a car wreck? God allows you to continue to take breaths in and and push breath out? you were in church on a Sunday morning, God has been extraordinarily good to you. And if you look back on all the miles that you've got, speaking of our metaphor, you will have a frequent flyer faith as well. But it takes looking back at God's provision and saying, hey man, I've been on this flight before. I'm going to be just fine. Here's the second thing I would tell you is look forward to God's future. Look ahead. To God's future. I think we, we teach our kids weird stuff about heaven. You know, we talk about, you know, or even show them pictures of like, you know, th- there's going to be naked babies with a diaper on playing a harp, you know, and we're going to be sitting on clouds and that kind of stuff. We, we work hard uh, not to teach our kids that kind of stuff about heaven because that's not a biblical reality. So our kids will ask questions like, well, daddy, in the new heavens and the new earth, aha, see that repl- reflects a biblical theology. One day, the turbulence that you're experiencing now will all be over. Sickness, sin, shame. Jesus will crack open the sky. He will make all things new. And all that brokenness will go away. Peace, indescribable. Joy, inexplicable. And at that point, we will no longer walk by faith we will walk by sight you won't even need active trust anymore because you will see the king of kings and the lord of lords reconcile all things to himself that's what we look forward to okay here's the last thing i'll tell you is look up to your power source look up we talked about this last week don't be anxious about anything We talked about belief is just kind of anxious energy this morning. And that's what it's going to cause in you is anxiety if uh, you you continue in just that I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and bear down and knuckle down and try to keep on believing, right? Or as Journey once said, right? Don't stop believing. (laughs) But if you look up, to your power source. This is what the verse says. Don't be anxious about anything. but in everything, with prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. Tap into your power source. Man, some of us are addicted to worry. We're addicted to fear. Uh, we want to control everything. And God says, listen, I'm here, and I know you believe that I can hold you. I know you believe that. What I'm saying is place your active trust down. Let the full weight of your life sit in the arms of Jesus and tap into your power source because your faith is only as good as its power source. I'll say one more thing before I go, and and this is kind of uh, personal. Last Sunday was a hard Sunday for me to preach. Um, It was an interesting Sunday. The night before, we got a call that uh, a, a friend of ours had been uh, struck by a car um, in, uh, in a city in, in the United States. I don't want to get into detail. I just want to disclose things that I, that I shouldn't disclose. Um, so his wife texted uh, my wife on her way to the hospital and, and said, uh, I don't know what I'm gonna walk into, but, but I know he's been struck and things don't look good. And the next morning, Sunday morning, before I came here, we woke up to a text that said he, that he was with Jesus. And the text that we got subsequent to that announcement, listen to me, she talked about experiencing a peace that transcends understanding. She talked about experiencing joy and not fear. And she talked about those things because she has placed her active trust in Jesus. Optimism, what what are you, optimistic that he's gonna come back from the dead? Like, that doesn't work at that point. But if you've placed your active trust in Jesus, what you begin to experience in your own life is that joy and that peace that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Friends, listen to me. There will be a moment, and for most of you, this moment's already come. Multiple times. But it's, it will come again. For those of you who've never experienced this moment, it's coming. And it's gonna be in the form of a diagnosis. It's going to be in the form of a wayward kid. It's going to be in the form of uh, depression and true clinical anxiety. It's going to be in the form of a layoff or a job loss. It's coming. And optimism is not going to help you. You know what is going to help you? Maybe more accurately, who is going to help you? When we place our active trust down in Jesus and we say, If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be okay. That's when we experience all the things that we've been talking about this Christmas season. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that it's not our faith. That's the true power source. Thank you that it's about us tapping into you. Thank you that a little bit goes a long way. Thank you that you are trustworthy, that we can place the full weight of our lives down on you and that you will hold us. Thank you that in the midst of difficulty and challenge and desperate circumstances, we can have a joyful patience because you are trustworthy. Thank you that we don't have to conjure optimism because we know you, the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. God, would you bolster our faith this Christmas season? What we mean by that is that you would draw us deeper into an active trust. We make daily choices to trust you with our kids, with our finances, with our health, with our future, with our job. God, that we would place all that down on your very capable shoulders and begin to experience all the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks. In Christ's name, the people of God, together said, Amen. Hey, let's uh, stand and respond together in song. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.